Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all, and I want to thank our worship team for leading us. Amazing time. Also just grateful for um, John and David back there who are running the cameras and making it possible for people to worship online. And so if you're joining us uh, online this morning, we're, we're glad that you're with us as well. And, and Jackie, thank you for doing the slides today. You know, it takes a whole group of people to, to do this, and Joanna and, and Alfredo back there. So thank you guys. Everybody look at Joanna and Alfredo because they always try to be hidden, you know, in plain sight. So. This morning, uh, as Ben already said as he started our service, that it's still Easter. You know what? It's still Easter. And, um, and that's why we leave the decorations up one Sunday, just to be reminded that, that Easter isn't one moment out of the year. That's when we remember it and celebrate it. But as believers, we live in the reality of it every single day of our lives. And today, I wanted to continue on in the Easter story. There is just so much to talk about. It's hard to try to squeeze it all into a, a, a short sermon. Um, but, but there's so much to, to talk about within the Easter story. There's four Gospels that harmonize together that, that give us facts and details. So often, um, we look at the resurrection kind of like forensically. We look at it like, you know, as proof of the fact that Jesus is alive. Do you follow me? That, and it is. He is alive. That, that there are um, just facts that are there together that tell a story that, that you know, you, you, you read, you know, these four different accounts of four different people that say similar but a little bit different of things, right? And people tell me that if, if you have a, a bunch of people together and they're telling their story and it is exactly line upon line the same, that they probably all got together and rehearsed the story to make sure that they got their story straight, that it's usually not factual. Are you following me? So some of those little nuances and details and they, they tell us the fact that, that it's, it's human beings that are writing this, that are saying what they saw, and that they saw an empty tomb, that they saw folded grave clothes. Two people say that, that they saw Mary, um, Mary Magdalene, Mary the, um, the mother of James, that they saw um, Peter and John. All these facts are together. It's pretty cool, right? And sometimes we, we focus on that, and, and today I, I think that that's significant, and I, I want us to, to understand that this wasn't just a fairy tale story that Jesus rose again, that it is a reality that we're living every day of our lives, and that there is, there is proof of that. But what's really remarkable to me as I read this, and I read the different accounts, is what happens after resurrection and how Jesus goes out of his way to show up for people again. And we're kind of following that theme Throughout the Gospel of John, if you've, if you've been with us, um, we talked much about Mary and Martha. You guys remember this stuff? Yeah? Everybody good? Should we stand up or anything? Sit down? High five one another? Everybody? Um, we talked about Mary. We talked about Martha. We talked about Lazarus, a human being who was raised from the dead. And, and Jesus, how he showed up for each one of them in specific ways to their personality. That, that Jesus knows you and wants to know you. He created you and he longs for relationship with you. Isn't that good news? That, that religion, um, as often we, we see it, can become like a, a cookie cutter uh, list of things to do and not to do. And, and if you apply a certain principle, you might receive a certain outcome. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of principle and things to apply in scripture that will give you a certain outcome. 
But what I read about resurrection and Jesus' interaction with people is far beyond that. It's deeply relational. And it's transformational. Even as I was worshiping this morning, I just, you know, you get those moments where you just, I don't know, you don't know what you want to do. Like you want to shout it, you wish you had all the words for it or whatever. But as I was worshiping, I'm like, man, here we are, a bunch of people gathered together singing songs about Jesus. And all of this really matters. It all really matters. Your relationship with him really matters. And, and, and the way that he's changing your life, it really matters. The fact that he has the power to forgive you from sin really matters. The fact that you're singing a song like Jubilee, you know, and, and it's moving you. It's moving you because your soul is crying out for freedom. It matters. And the only place to find it is in Jesus. And so the, there's this like, ooh, fire inside of me that just wants to go, ah, it's real. It all really matters. Like, I, I don't know how to say it. I wish I was cooler. I wish I had like that thing to do. But, I, but it matters. Resurrection matters. Resurrection isn't just for Jesus on Easter. Resurrection is in you. It's for you. All things become new. And so my hope and my prayer and my heart's desire is to not speak in flowery terms or in some, um, I don't know, uh, way of, of trying to connect the dots, but just as clear as possible, look at real-life people who encountered a real-life resurrected Savior. And I love these stories. They're the best. The, um, the first one that I want to start with is Jesus talking to Cleopas and his friend. And we don't know who this person was, and we don't know who the friend was. And that makes a lot of sense to me, and it brings a lot of hope for all of us, is that sometimes we feel like um, other people are the popular kids in school. It doesn't matter, like, what age we are. It's just like you could even look in this room and go, oh, yeah, they go to that church. They're popular, or they're, they know people, or whatever else, or their name is named, or their name is mentioned from the front, or whatever else. You, you tracking with me? How many of you ever, like, heard of Cleopas? I mean, honestly, like, who's naming their kids that? I mean, oh, sorry, you've known of them because you're good Christians, but, but, like, who's naming their kids that? Who's talking about Cleopas all the time? We talk about Paul, we talk about Matthew, and we talk about Mark and Luke, we talk about Jesus for sure, all these things, but here's somebody who has an encounter with Jesus, and, and if, if that wasn't enough to say, who's ever known who Cleopas is friend was you know scholars aren't even sure it could have been his wife could have been a buddy who we don't know but we know that there are these two people and on the day of resurrection they were they were just like perplexed trying to figure this whole thing out and they had an errand or something to do in a town that was seven miles away and on a seven mile walk if you do the math on it you know it's maybe I don't know for some people who walk it's like 15 minutes but for you know like speed walkers early morning city of orange walking around and seeing people speed walk. But, but no, for, for, you like that? Thank you. That was, um, for most people, that's a, a two and a half, two hour, 15 minutes, three hour walk, right? Depending on how much you're talking. If, um, if Rochelle and I go for a walk and we're talking about things that there's sometimes if the conversation is heated, we walk really fast. You know, if we're, if we're like, if we're like just deep in contemplation about one another's beauty, you know, and things like that, uh, we, we take the time to smell the roses and see things. And it might take, you know, a lot longer. We might walk on one pace at three miles an hour, another at two. But regardless, that's to say that these two were going on a journey seven miles. And on the, on the journey, and I'm going to read the story, um, they began talking. 
And Jesus shows up. He shows up for them. And so why don't we just jump right into it. Uh, let's look at, at the Gospel of Luke in, in, um, in chapter 24, um, starting in, in verse 13. And maybe as we're reading a few of these accounts, I, I'd love for you to be thinking about some themes that are throughout. There's a food theme throughout every single one of these accounts. There's always a meal. Um, there is conversation. And there's time. Time. It's not just quick, fast. It's quantity of time and quality of time. And this is how Jesus spends his time after his resurrection. It says... That very day, or resurrection day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Isn't that, I mean, can't, is, this is so real, okay? Whenever we go through something or we experience something or, you know, whatever, you, you, you talk about it. You hear people, you know, like recent pandemic, everybody was talking. Any conversation that you ever walked up to, someone was talking about something related to that. They were discussing it. You tracking with me? So this was a global event. This was a, I mean, for them, this was a, their, their world. This was a big deal. And so they're talking, they're processing through all these things that had just happened with resurrection or what they weren't sure about being resurrection because they didn't know and it, they were troubled by it. And so they're, they're on this talk and walk thing and Jesus draws near and he shows up. And then this interesting verse in verse 16, it says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't see that it was Jesus. It's another theme throughout these accounts. Verse 17 says, and he said to them, I love this. What is this conversation that you're holding as you walk with one another? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him. I love this. <laughs> Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there and in these days? Can you imagine that? Like you find out later, you, you know, obviously the punchline to the story is Jesus reveals himself but can you imagine like have you ever just said dumb things in a conversation and then you're reflecting on it later I can't believe I said that like can you imagine this one like they're getting all sort of mouthy with Jesus you know you, you, you like oh you're the only one that doesn't know what's going on and it's the guy <laughs> it's just so awesome and then Jesus just being Jesus. And again, you got to read into the gospel. These accounts are so powerful and real for a reason. But you begin to sense his personality. It's like he's drawing them into the conversation. And he's like, well, what, what things? You know, which would make an even more awesome processing time after. Like, can you believe he even was asking us what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find the body, they came back saying 
that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it it, it just as the women had said, but they did not see. This to me is just remarkable, but then Jesus goes on. I mean, I love how, again, this all matters and how real Jesus is to each person that in your day-to-day, in your processing, in your walking from here to there, he cares, he's involved, he wants to dialogue with you, he wants to be a part of your life, he's engaging you, he's drawing near to you, he's asking you the questions, and that's phenomenal to me. But then he goes on, and it's his turn in the conversation, in verse 25, and he said to them, oh foolish ones, and they'd be like, yep, <laughs> later on. Remember when he called us foolish ones? He was so right. Okay, <laughs> Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that the, what the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So now he's like breaking it down for them. And, and he's going through it in a big picture, helping them to understand. But I would title this moment in the conversation, information, right? It was information. He was telling them things. We live in a world like filled with information. We know what it is to take it in. We, we, we research things. We draw into things. We want to understand it. And, and Jesus was offering that to him. It was like he was completing their Google search. Like, what's going on? This, oh, this is what it is. Read, read, read. Oh, okay. Okay, I, I kind of know what's going on. Information. But then this next thing happens, which is really interesting. Verse 28 says... And they drew near to the village which they were going. So remember now, they've been talking for a couple of hours at least, okay? And he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went to stay with them. I've always been fascinated by this. What was Jesus up to? Was it like a head fake? Like, was he like, just kidding. You know what I mean? Like, what was he doing? He, he was act. it says he acted like he was going further. And, and you don't, I don't know, was it a, like a social cue? Was it something that people did? Like stuff like we do, you know, when someone offers us something, we're super hungry. And, you know, we're like, look all like drawn and thirsty. And like, would you like something to eat or drink? Like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, clearly you're not, you know? And so they offer again, no, seriously. No, I can't. I don't want to trouble you. And then they go for the third time, like, seriously, man, if you don't eat this food, I'm going to be offended. Like, well, I wouldn't want to offend you, right? And then you eat. It's like our, our social script. I don't know if he was doing something similar. And for the original reader, they would be like, oh, okay, this is a real event. This is what real people do. It wasn't a tidy story. You following me? And so Jesus does his head fake. They, they go, oh, wait, no, no, stay. He turns back and he stays. And now they're entering into a different dynamic altogether. Now they're entering into the first century hospitality culture. And hospitality is a big deal. 
Hospitality is, is one of our values here. We take it very seriously that, that hospitality isn't just about, you know, making sure you have a good experience here, but hospitality is taking care of you and you taking care of somebody else. It's, it's the reason why we want to bring our best to a big celebration. We want to have an environment where people are thought of, where we sort of set a table where we can experience fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. It's the best, isn't it? How many of you remember um, we were doing Ohana's on a regular basis, Ohana Sunday? We're, we're going to start doing that again. Okay. <laughs> oh, Ohana Sunday for us started out as an excuse to not, for me to not have to wear a suit on a Sunday morning. 28-year-old pastors is going like, why do I have to wear a suit? If I do an Ohana Sunday, I can wear an Aloha shirt. I don't have to wear a suit. And then we can have a meal after. And that was my original design. But, um, but it, 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 took, it took on a life of its own as we brought our best together. We, and it took time. It took people to set tables. And we would find that Ohana Sunday felt like an Easter every time we did it. We're like, well, I didn't know you went to church here, right? Because it was good food. Everybody, there were so many people that would come. And what would we do at that time? We would eat good food together. We would invite friends. And we would have talk around the table about our lives, what God was doing in our lives. And you would leave exhausted but filled. Do you follow me? This is sort of a picture of first century um, hospitality culture that when, when you say, hey, come over, I'm gonna, I want to invite you to eat, you're not like, man, what am I going to make? You're not running out to the fast food. There was nothing fast about it. It was about process and time. It meant that, that there was time as you're preparing, that there was it was going to take you a couple of hours before you even ate. Then there was time when you ate. And all of that involved what? Conversation. I know I, Rochelle's mentioned it many times and even those different things that we've done here that, that where there are people gathered and serving in any way, it's the fellowship that happens as there's set up, as there's cleaning up, as there's preparing food, that that's such a, a precious and beautiful time. And what I want to offer to you today is that resurrection as like, whoa, as it is to know that there's an empty tomb, that resurrection is also about your ordinary everyday life. It's about your walking around and talking to people. It's about your sleeping and eating and going to work, whether you like work or not, that this is part of your everyday life and Jesus cares about it. He wants to engage you in conversation about it. He wants to empower you to do it well for his glory. And we see this because the next thing that happens is when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now we have to stop here and observe this for a moment because this is breaking the rules of first century hospitality culture. If, if I came um, to your house and you invited me, that meant that you were going to take care of me. You were going to make sure my feet were washed, my nasty, nasty feet. You were going to make sure that there was a place for me to lounge and relax and rest. You were going to feed me. You were my what? My host. They were his host, and he had, he had set that up, walking away. No, no, come stay with us. But, but the, the ones that were, were hosting now become the guests. Do you see that? In a very simple sentence, instead of them breaking the bread and giving, Jesus breaks the bread. Now now he's the host. He's the host of this meal. And at the table, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. This is remarkable. Verse 31 says, 
And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And what's even more remarkable is the resurrected Jesus vanished from their sight. Crazy, right? Like, have you read this before? I mean, we know Road to Emmaus. We know, like, these types of ministries and things like that. But, I mean, have you really taken the time to read this and look at this? They've got information from him. They, I'm sure they were wowed by his ability to break out the scriptures and help them to understand what was going on with this Messiah. They offer him hospitality. He takes the reins. He breaks the bread. It's like, whoa, this is now, this is the bread of life. He is the one. And he becomes like revelation to them. It goes from information to revelation. They're like, aha. And just at the moment that they get it, what does Jesus do? Imagine the conversation back to Jerusalem. And this is often where I'd stopped the story. Many times I was just like wowed by this story and I'd failed to continue to read on. But after you have this information, you have this revelation, it's inside of you. And it took some time to get there. We're like probably four hours into it by now. Do you do anything for four hours other than have to go to work and stuff? But seriously, do you just waste four hours with people that you enjoy talking to? Do, you, do, do we waste four hours with God? And you understand what I mean by wasting time, right? Like there, there's no agenda. There's just being with him. There's something about resurrection that, that is speaking to us in all of this. And so, so they then have this experience. They have this plum. And it says that they take off back to Jerusalem. So it's another couple of hours. They must have been so energized by what had happened. I'm sure that this time they were like Olympic speed walking. And this is where, like, I think that the story gets a little crazy. Okay, so um, are you still with me? Okay. The next verse, verse 33 says, And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Seven miles. Man, their, their, like, little step counter was just going off this time. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to, to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Do you see that? It, now they're going back and reporting into the rest of the disciples. Man, he, this, this revelation that they had over the meal and, they were, um, and then it says in, in the next verse, it says, and they were t- as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. I want, and there's an exclamation point. Do, I mean, c- let, let's just look at it for what it's saying, okay? No Greek, no, you know, culture, no way. You're just reading it. Are you reading what I'm reading? Are you reading the fact that Two people go on a seven-mile walk with somebody they don't know who it is until they stop and have a meal with them. They have a meal with them. Their eyes are open. That person, Jesus, vanishes. They go seven miles back to Jerusalem because they're just tripping. They got, We've got to tell the rest of these guys. They tell them the story, and as they do, peace to you. I could just picture, it's because I've watched The Chosen, I'm going to say, but I could just picture Jesus with a smile on his face. He's like, peace to you. But what he's saying is, like, shalom. 
It's the greeting of all things are good. It's as they should be. And receive the peace. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago. I have got to imagine that all of them were like, whoa. But the two who had just like had to take the walk and didn't get a just transport over there were like, whoa. This is the one that they saw on the breaking of the bread. And then he goes on. He says, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Wouldn't you be? And then he said to them, why are you troubled? Because you were there and then you're not here. And then, you know, the whole bread thing. And that's what I would say. But they said, why are you troubled? And, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. That it is uh, myself. Touch me that you, you might see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones. And, and see, I have these things, basically. He's saying in verse 40. And after he said this, he showed them his two hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were, marveling, um, and were marveling, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? Do you have something to eat? And they bring him a piece of broiled fish, and he eats the fish. And this is significant. Why? Because if you're trying to process all this emotion and information, you're thinking, am I seeing a spirit? And then he's saying, touch me, I have flesh and, and bones. And then he eats something. He's like, look, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones to touch, nor does a spirit bother to stop and eat a piece of fish. It's very clear now. This is me. It's Jesus. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in front of them. There was no sneaky, like, you know how you do, like when you don't want something, you're like looking for the dog at the table or whatever else. He eats it right in front of them. It's unmistakably clear. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And look at what he does after this preparation, after this meal, after this eating experience. Then he opened their minds to understand scripture and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise, my Father, upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I love that he, was, he, he made known to them what was clear in the scripture at the breaking of the bread. That's where it happened. Again, as they ate. And so this, as you follow the chronology, and I know I'm just coming to you with a lot of information, a lot of words, but if you'll just stay with me for just like 10 more minutes, I think that there's a, a tie in the end. As you follow this chronology and you try to put these things together, you realize Jesus not only appears to these guys or appears in this room showing up, but then he continues to appear. And if you follow along in John's gospel, it says on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked and the disciples were in fear of the Jews and he came and stood among them and he said, again, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord and they said to him, again, peace be with you. Um, even so, I'm sending you. And then something remarkable happens in John's gospel with his encounter with Jesus. It says, and when he had, when he had said this, he breathed on them Receive the Holy Spirit. 
there's a lot of questions about what's happening in this moment in time. Some on one theological spectrum would say, okay, the, the, uh, these early disciples were given the Holy Spirit in this moment. Others would say, no, it can't be that because we still have Pentecost coming in Acts chapter 2. And where, where we land, I don't know that it necessarily matters aside from understanding something significant that's occurring here. And I'm just going to throw out something that I think. It's pretty familiar to me when I read this passage that he breathed on them, received the Spirit. There are two words that are being used in the ancient language, in the Greek language. There's one word for breath, like it's a breath, right? And it's often used in in Greek literature as symbolic, right? Or pronouncing something like And then there's another word that he breathed the breath the, the word spirit is the word pneuma. And we know the word pneuma is the word used for the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying maybe in a literal way is he's breathing the breath of the Spirit upon them. Do you remember anywhere else this happened? Genesis chapter 2. At the, at the formation of man. He's being formed in the dust. And, and it says that the Spirit of God breathed what? The breath of life using a Hebrew word, ruach, which is the same corresponding word as the Greek word pneuma. They're both Holy Spirit. Why does any of that matter? I don't know. I just thought it was cool. So I was going to try to throw out some ancient language. Why it matters is because of shalom. Why it matters is because of the kingdom of God. That there was one moment where we're breathing life. And it, t- it takes you back to the garden. It takes you back to the way that things were supposed to be. Are you following? Now the resurrected Savior comes and he goes, breathing life. This is a new beginning. This is my kingdom come. This is let's go. It's go time. It's symbolic, but it's so much more. This is a big deal. It's a big deal and it begins to play out because that same breath of life upon the moment where where revelation happens in your life, Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, you're given the life of the Spirit. It's not so that you can do tricks and do things, you know. It's not so that, like, do you speak in tongues or not speak in tongues? Or, you know, are are you Bethel or are you this? Like, there's so many crazy things that we have to get mixed up in to try to figure out what is being said in Scripture, and I'm not saying that, you know, I, I come from a charismatic background. I want it all. I remember when I was a little kid, it's like, if there's more of Jesus to have, I want it. It was just that simple for me. I have deep respect for those that don't come from that theological background. It's not a deal breaker. Do you understand? It's not. It's very interesting to me that the, the thing in the Bible that is intended to bring us together in a spirit of unity is what divides us. So we just kind of in this, looking at this passage, just sort of like lay down all our preconceived ideas for a moment. And just at face value, could it be that the Spirit, breathing the life of the Spirit, all things become new. Now take with you all that you need to live this life in Christ. Let me put it this way. Come alive in Christ. That's that moment. Come alive in Christ. The only life that we really have, the only living that we really have on this earth is alive in Christ. And to be alive in Christ matters. It matters at work. It matters as you walk with your spouse, two hours going seven miles. It matters as you serve in the church. It matters as you are in your workplace. It matters to God. This is transformational to everything. 
I'm going to leave that as a seed and go on. Because the next thing that happens is he shows up again now. So he, he's got shown up again for the 11, breathing the life of the Spirit in them. He shows up again. This time he shows up for Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap, but probably more of us than, than really would, um, would, would be willing to admit, identify with Thomas, right? Thomas is like, eh, I'm not sure about all this, right? He's known as the doubter. Unless I put my hands in his wounds, unless I see him with my eyes, right? And so what does he do for Thomas? Okay. Peace be with you. Shows up again in one of those locked door rooms. Smile on his face. I'm certain of it. And he says, Thomas, here you go. Have at it. Put your hands in my wounds. Touch my side. Thomas is like, whoa, I believe. Jesus is like, you know, that's great that you believe, but blessed are those who don't have to go through all this to believe, right? Shows up for him. And then in this last one, he shows up for the seven and for Peter. And and this is where I'm hoping to tie all of this together. Remember, we've got Cleopas, who is somebody we kind of know is a follower of Christ. Uh, We know he's a follower of, of Jesus. His friend, who we don't even know the name or who they are. We have the rest of these that are gathered in the room. Among them would have been Peter. So he's already seen Jesus. He's already had the woe. And now, in chapter 21, Peter and seven of the boys just decide, hey, we're going fishing, right? Because that's what you do after Easter. I've thought about this and thought about this, and I'm sure that you've heard many sermons about it. But all this has gone on. And put yourself in Peter's shoes just for a moment. You're like Jesus' main dude, you know, like you, you are his guy, you you were the one who had, you got it right that one time when, you know, who are you? Oh, you're the son of God. Flesh and blood didn't tell you this. Like, whoa, you're Peter, you know? You're also the guy that Jesus was like, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're the guy who moved emotionally in the moment in the garden and, you know, took off, was it Malchus? Well, I don't know, pronunciation, took off his ear because some say he had bad aim or good aim, right? You're not sure. He had bad aim because he was either going for the kill shot or he... Missed and hit the ear. Either way, thank God, he just got the ear. Jesus is like, Peter, puts it back on. (laughs) This is Peter, okay? But all that sort of jokey aside, it's also the Peter who three times denies Christ at a a place. He's outside of the chief priest's house. There's a certain kind of fire that's there, a charcoal fire, as Scripture says in in John chapter 18. He's warming himself. Hey, aren't you... Aren't you part of the crew of people that follow Jesus? No, not me. Three times. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Remember the story? So, so you're processing, you're Peter, you're processing all of this. Now you've seen him a few times. You know he's resurrected. You're not sure that we don't have any dialogue with Jesus and Peter. We're not sure where they stand. He's not sure where he stands. It's got to be your emotional person anyways. You've got to be processing a ton. Now what do I do? I don't know. Let's go fishing. Let's go back to what we did before we started following this guy. Seven of them go, they go out fishing. We read from the story, they're not as good at it as they used to be maybe, or maybe it's just fishing. But they go out and they fish all night and they don't catch anything, right? You hear the, you remember the story, Jesus calls out from the shore, catch anything? Everyone who fishes loves that question. They love that question, especially if you're not catching anything. If you're catching fish, you're like, just hold it up, you know? If you're not catching fish, you're just like, didn't, you just pretend you didn't hear him. Did you catch anything? No. 
cast it to the other side. Wait, what did he say? Put the net on the other side. Let's read the story. It says that um, in John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again. He shows up again. He's continuing the resurrected Savior, continuing to pursue. And the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, um, he, re- he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee. It goes on to list the list. It says, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you. And they went out into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. And verse 4 says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that this was Jesus. You catch the theme? And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast it. Now they were not able to haul in the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. By the way, you see this written throughout the Gospel of John. There's these gospel, I mean, these, um, the disciple Jesus loved. You know, he's the one that gets to lean into Jesus. He's the one that makes it first to the tomb. He's the one who figures out that's the Lord, okay? John is writing these things. <laughs> Isn't it? My favorite one, though, is like John and Peter both ran to the tomb, and um, the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first, right? <laughs> Th- these are just fun things. Not only are they fun, but they help us to realize that men inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote these things, that these... If you were writing a fairy tale, you, you don't add those things in there. You're trying to write an account. You know, you add those silly details in there that seem like, what are they for? It's part of a human story. Make sense? I like it. So John, or the disciple whom Jesus loves, um, he, he's the one who figures out it's Jesus. Peter, I don't know why, and I say this probably every time I've taught this, it just reminds me of that scene in Forrest Gump. It's a terrible connection, but it's true. Remember when Forrest sees Lieutenant Dan and he's in the boat, in the shrimp boat? Some of you are like, stop with this. Stop. <laughs> and, and, and he sees Lieutenant Dan and he has a scene. Lieutenant, it's a terrible movie. Don't watch it. I don't recommend it. But he, he sees him and then he's on the boat and he's like, Lieutenant Dan! And he just like fully clothed just jumps in because he's so excited to see him. Yeah, that's how I picture this happening. <laughs> Peter, Peter goes, it's, it's him? And, he, and, you know, he's in his working non-clothes, so he puts clothes on, and he jumps in, and he, he swims out to see Jesus. Can't wait to see him. He's just overtaken by that emotion. It's so typical of, of what we know of Peter. And so as the story goes on, um, he, he makes it to the shore, and there's there... Um, in verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved says it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter saw that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat and dragged a full net of fish. And they were not far off from the land, yet about a hundred yards off. And then verse 9 says, and when they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Again, I just want to just take a brief moment to say how significant this is that the Bible records a charcoal fire. In my translation, it does. Maybe yours didn't give that detail. I'm reading out of the ESV. But it's referencing one other time in Scripture where there's that type of fire. Only one other time. And that's in John chapter 18, verse 18. And I'm going to read it to you. So Jesus, picture this. Peter's jumping out. Jesus is starting this charcoal fire. 
John chapter 18. You rewind just for a moment. Now the servants and the officers had made a what? A charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and they were warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Just some days prior, he stood in front of a same kind of fire. It was a charcoal fire. And then, with the, and then jumping back into our story, in verse 8, there were fish laid out on it with bread. It takes a while to start a fire. It takes a while to cook fish. It takes a while to get the bread going. It's not like there was a store nearby. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you caught. And you begin to see this participating. Now they're fellowshipping together in the meal. Verse 11 says, So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore. And it was full of large fish. And, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to him, Come and have breakfast. And now the disciples, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And also with the fish. And that was the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples and after the, um, after the time that he was raised from the dead. The story goes on in a very beautiful dialogue between Peter. There's so much in this story. It's a sermon all of its own. And the, the symbolisms that are there within the numbers of fish, and you can see some things in the Greek language and the way that Jesus asks him if he loves him. But what's significant for us in this moment is for three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? The third time it says that Peter was distressed because Jesus had asked him three times, do you love me? This is a moment where, again, Jesus shows up for Peter in a way Peter needed it. Why? He was rebuilding the scene, wasn't he? To a certain degree, around that fire, Three times, maybe it took Peter a minute to figure it out. Like, do you ever, you know, for me, I always say I'm not the sharpest tool in the tool shed. Like, it takes a minute to figure out what's going on. And as he does, it's like, oh, this is that. Three times, do you love me? Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, is now in the process of being restored. He's released to be who God wants him to be. There's much more to the story. But as we land on this whole thing, What I want you to see is there's a who, a how, a why, and a what. There were the who's that Jesus revealed himself to. Jesus revealed himself to a person kind of known but not super popular. He reveals himself to a no-name person that we don't even know. He reveals himself to his closest ones, his disciples. He reveals himself to a doubter and a skeptic. And he reveals himself to one who had failed, who had had denied Christ, who had basically, seemingly was confused, even having, even having after being seen Jesus, goes back to fishing. Where do you land in all of this? That's the question. Do you land in the area of feeling like, well, I'm just a no-name. I, I'm, I'm nobody. Nobody knows who I am. Probably not true, but maybe true in what you feel. And so I think the scripture speaks to you and says, well, Jesus shows up for you. You know, well, maybe I'm, I'm just the one who I'm kind of in, but I'm not totally in. I'm not one of those kinds of Christians, but I'm kind of in, you know, Cleopas, maybe. Jesus shows up for you with information, with revelation, with resurrection power. Maybe you're like, man, I've followed him for a long time. I'm like, I, was, I came out of the womb saved. Tongue talking, man, I'm a 
hey, right on. Maybe you, maybe you represent some of those seven that were there, or some of the, the 11 that were gathered together, and, and Jesus shows up for you with a mission of real life that he wants to give you, life of the Spirit, reminding you that it isn't just what you can do, how good you can teach, or you know, how many stories you have of what Jesus did back in the day, but, but it's about right now, your everyday life and being transformed and conformed to the image of God. He's still at work in us and resurrection power. Well, maybe it's the, the Thomas. The, you're like, man, I shouldn't even be here right now at church. I'm such a skeptic. If you only knew the things that I said, the, the websites that I'm proficient on, the, you know, the, the little dialogues that I have with people disproving him or what about this or maybe I'm the guy in the conversation that's always like well yeah but have you ever thought of this you know expert in anti-Christian conspiracy theory I don't know it doesn't matter Jesus shows up for you he shows up for you with a meal with time with hospitality not like he's not in a hurry come on bring it on here go ahead You you can have all of me Go ahead, touch the wounds. See me. I'm, I'm here. I'm not threatened. That's Jesus. And probably most of us would identify with Peter going, I, I, I know who I am. I know who you think I am, but I know who I am. Who we thought Peter was, who, who his public perception was, even so much so that people were asking, aren't you one of his followers? But yet, deep in his heart, he's going, man, I mess up all the time, and I messed up so royally. I didn't just mess up a little, but I did the exact thing Jesus said I was going to do, and I should have known better. Every single one of us in this room can identify and understand Peter. We can understand what it means to sin, what it means to make a mistake that breaks the heart of God, that breaks the heart of somebody else. We, we can understand in our human condition what it's like to repetitively sin in an area and try to keep it hidden, okay? This is stuff that causes the room to go a little quiet because this is what matters. This is what's real. Jesus in resurrection power shows up with hospitality to you, to you. He shows up with a charcoal fire going, yeah, I know, I know. I knew what kind of fire was there. He shows up with repetitive questions like, asking specifically into something because he's saying, I know. But he isn't saying, I know, and I caught you. I remember something that still is like Sunday school baggage for me is like, I just remember people saying, God's going to get you. He sees everything. You're not getting away with anything. And it's true, but it messed with me in my concept of God. It messed with me thinking like, okay, I got to figure out how to hide that one from God, you know? Versus... Versus just, and sorry, I don't think there's anyone in this room that was a Sunday school teacher for me. So I don't mean that in any, I don't mean that in any specific way to any specific person. I, my baggage. So, so but, but just saying in, the, in this way that like, that was something I had to work past. And I think resurrection helps us work past that. It helps us to go, here I am, here's where I messed up. Please forgive me because you died on the cross for my sin and you want to restore me and it's important that I become more like you, Jesus, every day. And I don't want to hide from you. No more hiding. Here I am. So if you go through that whole list, I know, again, I've 
covered a lot of territory. I broke all the sermon rules today. But, but, what, but what I want to tell you is whether you're Cleopas, whether you're Cleopas' friend, whether you're Thomas, whether you're Peter, whether you're among the disciples, resurrection is for you. And I want to read this last scripture and then we're going to end. I want to invite the worship team to come because if you, if you have any needs today, we want to pray for you. But as they come and begin to, to prepare, I wrote this and then I want to read this passage. What I wrote was, Jesus is alive, he's resurrected, now what? Now what do we do? Jesus has become real. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Now our day-to-day work life, our home life, we are to be in relationship with him. We are to have moments of highlights and breakthrough and miracles. And we also get to have everyday life and fellowship with Jesus who has breathed upon us the Holy Spirit. This is important. I believe that the everyday life matters. Everyday life matters. There's no such thing as fast food with Jesus. Everyday life matters, every bit of it, the quantity and the quality of it. And this matters because this is where in our everyday life he's working out transformation, formation. He's forming us into the image and likeness of Jesus. It's not to be neglected or ignored or fast-tracked. It's not like we have all this everyday life stuff and then we have church stuff. The majority of your time is spent in everyday life. And that's where resurrection power is meant to come alive for us. I love the way Eugene Peterson put it in the message translation as he brought to us Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's what I leave you with. I think, I think this sums it up. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's resurrection power. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. And he develops well-formed maturity in you. Can we stand together? Lord, as we think through several stories of you showing up for people and your showing up in their life mattered. It, it changed them. And there was a willingness for you on your part to spend a lot of time with them and a willingness on their part to stay in it with you. God, I know I can be the first to say I, I am conditioned for fast food. I, I want things fast. I want you to show me quickly what you want to show me. I, I want to pray and you just download to me what you want. And what I read in your word is that what you want is my entire life, my walking around life, my work life, my friendships, to be invited into every aspect of that, to enrich every bit of that to be fully alive, not to have segments and sections where I sort of get through all this other stuff to get to the good stuff. The whole life that you have for us is the good stuff because you want to be alive in us so that we, like 
those on the road to Emmaus would be so overwhelmed with the revelation you bring that we can't wait to hit the road and go tell everybody. Come Holy Spirit and breathe life into us even now, we pray. Let's sing this song together and give you a chance to process some things that were said. bless each one. I want to invite you. I'm going to, I know I've gone over, but we want to leave time. If you need prayer, if you need prayer for healing in your life, whether it's emotional or physical, we want to pray for you here. We have our pastors that will come and pray. If you identify with any of these areas and you're like, man, I just, I, I want to give you the quantity and the quality of my life afresh and anew and you just want to make that response to the Lord just come come to these altars and as they end us the song again feel free to come and if you need to slip out um, feel free to do that there is no pressure God I bless each one I thank you for time that we could be together I thank you for your word that it's a lamp and a light for us and move in our lives God I pray in Jesus name Amen. If you need prayer, come. If you need to go, go. But God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.
There's an army rising up. There's an army 